the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. So anyway, uh, we are in Matthew 20. And just to give you an uh, idea of where we are in Matthew 20, this is, this is now, now we've got several different things going on in Matthew 20. First of all, uh, Jesus is still teaching. Jesus is still healing. Uh, Jesus is still moving towards Jerusalem. And he's now caught the radar of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They're out to kill him. They want to do him in. We don't really see them here uh, in Matthew 20. But they're still out there and they're plotting and uh, it'll be amazing to see what happens. So um, in Matthew 20, we're going to just get some teachings of Jesus and a, and a healing of Jesus and a couple human nature things come up. Uh, so let's go ahead and start in Matthew 20. And um, this will be Matthew 20 verses 1 through 16. This is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. So Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and send them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And then about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us and have borne the burden of work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Do you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who, has, who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So I'm sure you've heard this, uh, this parable many, many times. Uh, if you have, great. Um, if you haven't, let me just explain it. You've got these day laborers and they're congregating uh, at a place in the community where, where employers go and get day laborers. Now, um, I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but this actually happens uh, quite often. Uh, in Phoenix, where I grew up, um, we would see day laborers kind of congregating at different locations and work, you know, people, it wasn't, you know, working in the fields type of thing. It was like, hey, do you want to pour concrete or whatever? I mean, they would just kind of congregate in certain areas and they would just go out and they're basically labor. Uh, and obviously workers need labor peri or employers need labor periodically. And so they would go and get these workers and they would do the work. And then they, you know, these laborers, you know, they, they were basically just, um, they were there to do labor, 
Now, back in Jesus' day, a lot of the labor was, of course, you know, plowing, not, not plowing necessarily, but picking, harvesting, you know, just anything that you needed a day labor for, you could go to certain areas, you could pick up the day labor. Now, what's interesting about the day labor um, is that uh, in Jesus' day, there was a coin, it was called the denarius, and this coin in, in the time of Jesus was basically equal to a day's worth of wages, um, kind of like this is what you would pay somebody for a day's worth of labor. And um, I really find it interesting that even in today, uh, we have this thing called a minimum wage, uh, and basically what this minimum wage is kind of like the bare minimum that you want to pay somebody uh, for like a day's worth of labor. And so uh, this concept of having, you know, this pay equivalent to a day's worth of, you know, kind of minimum labor charge uh, that you're going to, that you're going to pay somebody, this goes back, you know, for thousands of years, centuries actually. And, um, and so this is a this is a way to kind of get enough money into uh, someone's life so that they can survive. Now the interesting thing is is that you know just as a mild aside here, I guess is that we always talk about the minimum wage, like um, this is the bare minimum to survive. And uh, the thing is is that there's two parts to that equation, right? There's the amount of money coming in, but there's also the amount of money going out. And um, what's interesting with our society, uh, particularly in the United States, is the bare minimum that it costs to live. When you consider food costs and transportation to and from your place of employment and um, housing costs and all these different costs uh, that we have because we're such a complex society, that amount of money it takes to survive goes up and up and up and up. And um, and we as a society, we always attack the minimum wage portion of it. It's like, well, we're just gonna continue to increase the minimum wage and minimum wage. The problem is, is that uh, studies show year after year that, that when that minimum wage gets increasing, increases, uh, that causes some employers to start to move because we have a complex society from labor to machinery or other ways to compensate for that. And the thing we never look at, I don't know why we never look at that, is is there a way to decrease the house, or, you know, the, the housing and the food and all that? We have all these different programs, but they're all government assistant programs. Uh, but you got to wonder, is there a way, like for example, housing, is there a way to to decrease the housing costs? I, one thing I just always am amazed by, I mean, you look at movies from you know, 50 years ago, 70 years ago. And what, what did they have? If you were a single guy, you know, in your 20s or 30s, you could go and you could live at a boarding house, right? And typically a boarding house was maybe the, the husband died and the woman then converted her house into a boarding house, right? And uh, she would get boarders to come in. They would live. They would have family seating and dining. You know, she might even do the laundry or whatever. I mean, she, uh, she would allow people to come in to the house and basically, you know, these people coming in would pay a lot less than an apartment uh, and certainly would, you know, there'd be more community and more socializing and, you know, even create a, like a little family. Um, man, we just, we don't, I've always thought that would be a really cool way, you know, especially if you're in your 20s, you're not married yet, you know, that'd be like a really cool way to, to survive, you know, to find the housing portion and even the food portion. 
Um, but we don't do that anymore. We don't, it's just, I, you know, I don't know if it's safe anymore. Uh, although, you know, we have some really great safe people. Um, I don't know if it's, um, you know, government regulations that are saying you can't do that anymore. Maybe the cost of all this is increased. I don't know. In my opinion, one of the things that always increase the costs of everything um, is the more regulations and control that we have in our society, uh, you know, in the housing construction and the food and all that, which raises the cost. It makes us safer and all that sort of thing, but it does raise the cost. And um, But anyway, that's that's all an aside. The denarius then was the minimum wage, right, for Jesus' day, right? You, you're going to be a day laborer. So the story is that, going back to the story, you've got the, the, this crowd of laborers, the, the guy who owns the vineyard, he goes, he grabs some, he brings them in, they start harvesting uh, or working on the field. The employer looks and he says, man, I need more. So he goes and gets more and he goes and gets more and he keeps doing this. Now it's the end of the day. And by the end of the day, you have some people that have been there all day working. And then you have some people that just started working at the end of the day. So now it comes time to pay these laborers and he starts with the people who started at the end of the day and what does he give them? The owner gives them a denarius, which is equivalent to a day's worth of work, right? Um, and there's an there's a Old Testament, I think it's in Deuteronomy, there's an Old Testament uh, law that says you should never withhold uh, you know, the cost of labor. You, know, you should really be fair to people who are at the lower end of the scale. You should never be uh, cheap. Uh, you should always pay them fair and maybe even a little bit more. And so uh, there's certainly some good Old Testament uh, rules saying, yeah, let's, let's pay these people at the end of the day, the denarius. But the people who worked at the beginning of the day, they want, um, they are hoping for more money. And when it gets to them, they get paid the denarius. So the parable here is that, uh, the people who started first in the day and the people who started at the end of the day, they all got the same pay. And the people who are at the beginning of the day are upset and grumbling because they think they should have had more, right? They have enough to survive. It's a, it's a minimum wage. They're, they're going to have food on the table. They're going to have shelter, all the things they're going to need, but they want more because they worked harder. It's not fair. Of course, a um, couple things on that. First of all, the uh, if you've ever seen the productivity of people throughout the day, right? Most people are extremely productive at the beginning of the day. I know I am. Like my most productive time is from about four o'clock to about 10 o'clock. That is like my prime time. And then after that, it, it you know, it starts to go down and then uh, it goes really down and then it comes back up again, you know, whatever. Um, and uh, my productivity is not, actually, I have a chart. Uh, I could show you this chart. Uh, let's see here. Um, if you look at this chart, uh, this is uh, somebody's chart on productivity throughout the day. So um, you can see that in the beginning uh, of the day, you're highly productive and then you come down to lunch. By lunch, you're wiped out. Then you have a lunch break and you're pretty good after lunch. And then pretty much you're nothing for the rest of the day, right? So, And that is so true. That's exactly how we are. So these people who are working in the field saying I was, you know, we're productive, uh, all day at the beginning of the day. No, they're not really. Their, their main productivity actually happened early on in the morning and maybe after lunch. So these people that are coming out uh, and helping, you know, it's even quite possible that these laborers are working in the field saying, hey, wait a minute. 
um, I am, uh, why am I working so hard? We have these new laborers. Let them work hard, right? They're fresh, you know, so I'm even going to work less. So there's a little bit of that going on, I think. Uh, but I think the, the purpose of the parable, for sure, is that, uh, and Jesus says it, uh, is that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Uh, and yesterday we looked at the parable of the rich man. That's exactly what Jesus said after that parable. He said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And basically the point of both these parables is that the kingdom of heaven is not as we would think it is. Because in our world, the people that get the most benefits, the people that are honored more in our society, the people who we look towards um, for, for help or assistance or for leadership or whatever, uh, we have this pecking order in our society that says these are the important people, right? And, and these are the unimportant people, right? And in the kingdom of heaven, it's not like that. What Jesus says is basically you come into the kingdom of heaven like a child. In the kingdom of heaven, uh, there is no major important people and minor important people. We're all kind of, uh, we're in comparison to the king, right? Uh, we're either nothing in compared to the king or because we are children of the king, we're elevated to be children of the king. So in the kingdom of heaven, it's different than on earth. On different on, in earth, we, we honor people who are wealthy. We honor people who have power. We look towards these people for, you know, for guidance. Uh, we, we elevate them in society as being very, very important. And anybody who's not like that is not important. But what Jesus says is that every life counts. Every person in the kingdom is my child. And I guess you could say it's almost egalitarianism. Egalitarianism means that we create a level society. There are always people... Uh, throughout history that have tried to create a level society, right? That nobody's greater than least. I mean, that certainly communism and socialism go in those directions uh, where they try to, um, you know, take from the people who have a lot and give to the people who don't uh, to try to kind of level out and balance society. And, um, you know, it's some level, some of that is very, very good. But what we've seen throughout history is that if the leadership of those of those societies, you know, and the more they try to level it out, the more it gets out of repair and out of out of wonkiness, and uh, and the more they try to correct, and, the, and and pretty soon they end up doing some horrible things throughout history. We've seen horrible things, but in the United States, or not in the United States, but in the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is the perfect king. So he has all the resources to give and to share, and he knows everything. He's like the perfect ruler in the kingdom. We will not want for anything in the kingdom because Jesus is on the throne. Uh, and that's basically the point of this parable. Now, there have also been people saying, yeah, it's not necessarily a later thing, but, or, but people have looked at this parable saying that uh, if you come to faith early in life or late at life, it won't matter. And there's certainly truth to that because coming to faith is uh, you know, a one-time deal and it doesn't matter if it happened early in your life or late at your life or in the middle of your life, right? You're in the kingdom and, uh, and you're gonna grow and Jesus is gonna be your king and you're gonna live with him forever. And um, you know, certainly if, if, that, if this parable speaks to you in that direction, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think the point of the parable, at least that I read it with Jesus, was that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That, that there is, that the things that we think and honor and value in this world 
are going to be completely reversed when we get into the kingdom. Uh, if you have people here that have power and influence uh, and are considered to be great leaders in this world, um, and then you have another person that's maybe just meek and mild and doesn't have a lot of power and influence, maybe not a leadership, but their faith is strong uh, and they store up their treasures in heaven and they share uh, with the world around them, they serve, they give. Um, those are the things that will be stored up in heaven and you might see a reversal uh, in heaven of what that looks like. That's all I'm saying. So um, that is basically the parable of the, of the workers in the vineyard. And now I want to, let's see, we're going to go to uh, Matthew 20, 17 through 19. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and on the way he took the 12 aside and he said to them, we are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and he will hand them over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. So again, uh, this is the third time that Jesus has mentioned that he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to die, he's going to be crucified, and on the third day, he's going to be raised to life. Now, this is the third time. So when Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he dies, it just always surprises me that the disciples on Sunday morning are like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder what's going to happen today. I think I'll just go fish again or something like that. For some reason, they just couldn't get it through their thick skulls that Jesus was going to rise again, right? And yet he told them three times. Maybe he should have told them three times, three times, or 300 times, or 3,000 times. I don't know. Um, I just find that interesting that uh, they just still couldn't get it. Of course, the reason is that in their history, nobody had really been raised from the dead, right? I mean, this was new stuff for them. Um, and if, if Jesus came and lived and walked with me and said, hey, I'm going to die and rise again in three days and told me three times, I just don't think, I'm, I would think it's a parable or a metaphor or an analogy or something like that. I don't know if I would have literally taken him for risen, rising from the dead because he speaks in parables, right? So I can't necessarily blame the disciples, but Jesus did try. Um, and the great thing about saying this is that they weren't necessarily surprised then. I think when Jesus rose from the dead, they're like, Oh, yeah, that's right. You told us so many times. It makes sense. This isn't a new thing. This is part of your plan all along. And the fact that God has a plan uh, and Jesus came to earth with a plan uh, is, is comforting because that means that God has power even over this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, he's allowing it to happen. People are dying. There's a lot of sickness, a lot of pain. But God has a plan to get us through this, uh, and he's going to use his amazing church to do amazing things, and uh, he is not powerless in this situation, and we are not powerless in this situation because God is still on the throne, right? All right, so he predicted his death a third time. Now we're going to go to another fun story, and this is Matthew 20, 20 to 23, and this is a mother's request. Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked him a favor. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other on your left in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, 
You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared for my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, with their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So again, it's the same narrative, right? It's the same one as the rich ruler and the vineyard, that the things in the kingdom are different than what we would expect on this earth. So you have the sons of Zebedee, right? James and John. We learned that they were the first ones that Jesus called. He called James and John and Peter and Andrew. They were his first four disciples. And they're all fishermen. And now we have, uh, right, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and their mother, their mother comes up to Jesus. So I don't know if he's traveling around or if they ended up going through that town where they grew up or, uh, or whatever. But the mother, it's always, you know, the tiger mom that comes and goes to Jesus and, you know, looks around. Now, Peter, James, and John are the three, like, top friends of Jesus, right? When he goes up to the transfiguration, he was accompanied by Peter, James, and John. So James and John already have this special relationship with Jesus, but she wants to just double-check and make sure that when Jesus comes into his kingdom, because he's always talking about the kingdom, that James and John, one sitting on the left, one is sitting on the right. Now, what's interesting, Jesus says, it's not for me to decide. That's going to come later, he says. Um, but, but you will be in the kingdom. James and John will be in the kingdom. Um, and then, of course, you have the ten. They hear about this, and they become indignant because they think that this mother, you know, shouldn't have so much authority over Jesus and uh, they don't want to see James and John having a special place over them, right? But they didn't understand. It's, the kingdom of heaven is different from the kingdom of earth, right? In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus sits on the throne. In the kingdom of heaven, we don't worry. In the kingdom of heaven, when it comes to sharing resources or power, influence, or whatever, it all works because Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is the perfect king. Uh, in the in kingdoms on earth, right? You you fight for power, you fight for wealth, you fight for influence, you fight for all the things to make sure you're the honored person, the honored guest at the table, right? But in the kingdom of heaven, it's the reverse, right? It's the it's the humility, the humble, the meek, um, the poor in spirit, as Jesus would say. Uh, it's all changes when you get to the kingdom of heaven, and it's okay that it changes in the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is the most marvelous place. Uh, living eternity with Jesus is the most wonderful thing. And the fact is, is that the kingdom of heaven has already started for those who are in the kingdom, right? If you are in the kingdom, you are staying in the kingdom from today onward. You don't like go out of the kingdom and come back in. So we are children of the king and we have all the rights and privileges thereof as being children of the king which means that, um, that we, have, uh, we have the joy of being uh, next to Jesus in, in the kingdom. Uh, we are just like the disciples. We are with Jesus forever. Um, so 
And then Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for ransom for many. So Jesus came in this earth to not be like a normal king that lords it over to everybody else, but he came to serve. He's like the humble servant. He's the humble king. Um, he shows us what, what true humility is like. He shows us what true service is like. And Jesus lived the best life of anybody that's ever lived, and he did it by serving people. I think there's a lesson there. I think, uh, you know, the things that we strive for in this world because of our human condition, the wealth, the power, the fame, uh, you know, lording ourselves over other people, we think that that's the stuff that's truly going to make us happy. And at some level, it might. But in the kingdom, in the economy of God, uh, it's service. It's loving your neighbor. It's it's sharing with others. Uh, I mean, I think that's why Jesus talked more about uh, giving of our resources to other people more than he did about any other subject in Scripture. It's because when we give of ourselves, God comes in and changes our heart. He uses those gifts for his kingdom, uh, and he transforms who we are from people of the world into people in the kingdom. And people in the kingdom have joy unimaginable. People in the kingdom have life unimaginable. So um, everything changes when you're in the kingdom. And my prayer is that at some point in your life, all these teachings of Jesus and the example of Jesus and, and taking baby steps of faith and saying, okay, I'm gonna serve over here. I'm gonna give over here. I'm gonna give my resources, whatever whatever it is that you've been called to in the kingdom, as you start to do that, as you start to grow your faith, you realize how much joy this stuff brings you, how much joy it is to serve in the kingdom, to know that God is using you to love the world around you. And it's a joy that, in my opinion, surpasses the joy of of power and fame and wealth and uh, you know all the things that the world looks to to say this is why we should elevate you as a great person right in the kingdom it's totally different but it's totally okay because in the kingdom it lasts forever and the first shall be last and the last shall be first and the joy that comes from being a part of the kingdom is far surpasses the joy of the things that the earth can provide that the world can provide um, that our job can provide, or you know, all these different things that the world says you got to have um, in order to be happy. Not so. All you need, I've said this before, all you need is, um, is food and shelter and love, you know, the basic necessities in life, and knowing that you're a child of the king, right? And if you have that stuff as the bare minimum, you have everything you will ever possibly need, and it's the stuff that will, that you know, carries with you into the kingdom. So, that, my friend, is uh, the end of that chapter. Now we're going to go back one more story. Jesus is going to do another miracle. Two blind men receive sight. This is verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me for you to do? He asked. 
Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and they followed him. So this is the last story in Matthew 20. And basically Jesus is going by the roadside to Jericho, Jericho, right? Um, And he sees two blind people. And they said, Lord, have mercy on us. I always found this interesting. Jesus goes up to them, sees blind men. He says, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> uh, you want food? You want shelter? You want clothing? You want a hug? What, you know, what, what is it you want to do? And they're like, no, we want to be healed from our blindness. And so Jesus heals them from their blindness. And then they get up and they follow him. Just another perfect miracle from Jesus, right? He sees these two poor blind people off the side of the road and he heals them and they follow Jesus. Um, I think, uh, you know, these, these stories of Jesus healing, like the paralyzed person or the deaf, you know, or the blind, um, particularly the deaf. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across anybody who's deaf. There's actually in the, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, there's a pastor who is blind. And um, he gets up and he serves his congregation. He's blind. Uh, and he came and spoke to us when we were in seminary. Um, and going through seminary training. And basically, he said that being blind is one of the most lonely things you can possibly do. Uh, It's very, very difficult being blind. And the reason is, is because most blind people uh, have routines and patterns and ways they do things. And it's so difficult for them to try new and different things. And so they end up becoming isolated. It takes very, very, very uh, special assistance and guidance and love and compassion uh, to, to, for a blind person to kind of be in society. And you see it every once in a while. It's just a beautiful thing. I mean, it truly is. Because a lot, most of blind people, um, they just don't necessarily like to get out that much. They, they're, they're so much more comfortable within the confines of where they feel comfortable um, and so, uh, we, we have been so blessed, you know, as a world that we can provide so many resources to blind people, but can you imagine what it was like at the time of Jesus to be blind or to be deaf or to be paralyzed? Um, and how difficult that must have been, uh, today it's, it is difficult. I mean, there's no question about it. You have to learn how to do things. You finally learn and and compensate and you kind of get the world figured out. But man, I just, I think it would have been so difficult at the time of Jesus to be blind. I I can't even imagine what that must have been like. Um, But Jesus saw compassion and healed this person. Uh, I'm so grateful that we've come so far in our world that we can actually do things for blind, deaf, paralyzed people. Um, it is it is really quite of amazing mirac- miracles of science, but my heart just goes out to these people. They they figured it out. They you know the the human brain, the human capacity to figure out to survive, just amazing thing. Um, but that doesn't mean they didn't want to be healed. And Jesus does come and heals the, the blind person, and then they come and follow him. Just an amazing amazing thing. Um, Jesus Jesus healed. Uh, Jesus taught, uh, and then uh, we're going to see as we move forward into the next chapters that now it's going to get really heated with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They really have it out for Jesus. 
Um, but Jesus teaches about the kingdom, what the kingdom's like, and the kingdom is a great place. In the kingdom, there's no blind, there's no deaf, there's no paralyzed. Uh, there's his, his people in the kingdom and in completed bodies, serving the king, loving the king, living with him eternity. And so my prayer is that you know, without a doubt, that you are in the kingdom. And it doesn't matter what your status is on this earth, when you get to the kingdom, you are a child of the king. So let's pray. Dear God, thanks for being with us today. Uh, thank you for these teachings that you taught. Uh, thank you for Jesus who healed and who taught what the kingdom is like. Lord, I just can't wait to get there. I can't wait to sit at your feet and be in your presence. Be with the world and our community and our, our state and our nation, our leaders, as we struggle with this whole coronavirus. Help us to get out of it. We pray this uh, in your son's name. Amen. All right, so that brings us to the end of 20. And thank you for joining me today. And I pray God's richest blessings on you as we go through the week. And uh, we will see you tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel. God's blessings on your day. Thanks. Bye.